0: church. It is great to see all of you this morning. And I'm Barrett, pastor here at Allen Community. And uh, from my heart, I truly do welcome you this morning. I just hope you're doing great. Uh, we're really, really glad that you've chosen to worship with us today, whether you're returning or whether you're new, we're just glad that you're here. Um, I do hope you know this morning that God is all that you need. That's our heart here. That's the truth of your life, that God created you. He created you that you might live in a relationship with Him. We're not created to be independent, but rather dependent upon God. We're created to find all that we need in Him. And in worship, what we really do is we're not really bringing anything to God, we're really coming to God to just say, "God, you're the one that brings everything to us. All we have is what you give. And I do hope this morning that you know that God is a great and good God. He does love you. He cares about you. He knows you. He created you. He knows you. and he knows that you need Him. And I do hope this morning that you know that he is all that you need. We are in the middle of a series on Ephesians, and Bob is coming. Uh, What we've been doing every week is hanging out with people from our church uh, right before the teaching time. And um, the point of that is that we've been in this this section of Ephesians that's a lot more practical, and it's kind of teaching us uh, how to live our lives with God. And what we've been doing is just talking to people every week, and Bob Buffard is here. I love Bob, even though he's a Florida Gators fan. No, no, no. None of you start that. Golly. Last week, let it be known, in the offering plate last week was a gift to the building fund. And the note on the gift said, in honor of Barrett Bowden, who loves the Florida Gators.
1: It I have never
0: seen anyone mock me through a gift to the church. <laughs> but it was well-deserved because my Georgia Bulldogs lost. And regardless, I love people giving to the church. (laughs) So for that reason, I say, go Gators. Um, That could happen again. (laughs) If you would like to make it happen again, it could have been you last week. Um, But anyway, Bob was here this morning and uh, just talking to us. Um, Just so people could get to know you more, you and Lisa have been a part of the church for a year, over a year now, and uh, two years. It's awesome. A lot of people do know you. Some people don't. Uh, could you just briefly tell, you have a great story of God's redemption in your life, and maybe tell about how you came into a relationship with God.
1: Sure. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, I grew up in Florida. Um, big Catholic family, six kids, and we were very active in our church. Um, my, Me and my brothers were altar boys, and my dad did the readings and right up till I was about 17 years old. And I came home from school one afternoon, and my dad's car was backed into the garage, which was odd. And he was loading all his clothes into it, and... he was leaving. Um, so it was its kind of a hard day. Um, and... It was like overnight, our our world changed. We we stopped going to church. Um, I kind of rebelled. I was like the oldest kid at home at that point, point. Um, so i i I guess more or less ran away. I, I went to New Jersey with a girl without telling anybody. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny because uh, my wife was. I do Wanna, think you
0: called up running away. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> my, my wife was on a motorcycle going from New Jersey to Florida on the same weekend. I was on a motorcycle going from Florida to New Jersey. And we think we waved at each other. You know how bikers do going down the road? Um, but we never met each other for like 20 years after that. But, so, so, yeah, I kind of rebelled and um, ended up marrying that girl a day before I turned 18. Um, had a daughter week before I turned 19, um, had another daughter two years later and stayed in that marriage for about seven years. Um, certainly not a godly marriage um, by any stretch. but I had two wonderful daughters um, and ended up divorced and I met Lisa probably 30 years after that and um, we not 30 years after that, when I was 30. Um I saying, you, you look wow. quite young. <laughs> yeah, I joke that um I have kids older than most of the kids in this church, but I'm not as old as their parents because I started when I was much younger. <laughs> but anyway, um we Lisa and I moved to Colorado to kind of get a fresh start. And every Sunday morning the neighbor's dog would bark and bark and bark and Finally, one Saturday afternoon, I said to the neighbor, "Uh, you think you could do something with your dog tomorrow so I can sleep? And he said, well, as long as you're up, why don't you come to church with us? Um, (laughs) So so we started going to church with this guy next door, and it was a very charismatic church. um, And the founder of Promise Keepers was actually one of the members there. And so Promise Keepers number 2 came along, and um, my neighbor invited me to go. And we went to the YMCA of the Rocky Mountains. And through the, the prayers and meetings of that day, um, that night, sitting on the top of a uh, 14,000-foot mountain, uh, I asked God to be my Savior. So that was kind of where it all started for me. Um, It was pretty amazing. That's awesome. Sorry, I get emotional. Um,
0: So, today, in the passage we're going to look at in Ephesians 5, we're going to talk about how we're designed for imitating God, that we're to be like Him in our life. And I know for all of us, we have stories of the changes that God has brought to our life, how our life reflects now God rather than. Of sin. How has that been true in your life?
1: Well, right then and there, um, you know, I gave my life to the Lord and went home to living in sin because um, Lisa and I were not married. So we kind of struggled with where we, we, obviously we started talking about marriage and um, I moved to the second bedroom, which was a mistake. I never got the dog out of my spot. Um, but we, we struggled with, um, were we talking about marriage to ease our conscience or or was that really God's will for us? So we went to uh, marriage counseling at the church and, um, through that, you know, it started as a group session and several of the couples figured out pretty quickly that marriage wasn't for them. And for us, um... It just it felt right, and the couple that was leading the group said, "You know, you guys are are right for each other," and so we we felt that it was God's will, and we planned a wedding in about six weeks and got married. And um, it's been a it's been an adventure. We've we've tried to um, just tried to live a godly life. Lord knows we fail at times, but. Um, we tried to be an example to my children and um, lead them to church sometimes with not a lot of success. Um we were the only people in our extended families that are saved. and so we we're always kind of the outsiders, um, even like with my ex-wife and her new husband. We we're always kind of ridiculed whenever we go home for holidays and whatnot, so it's it's been a struggle, something that we've um, done a lot of praying about, and just try to provide that godly example yeah. in any way we can. Yeah.
0: I know with your family in particular and with your daughters, you've been walking through and with community here, too, a season of, of brokenness with a real heart for um, restoration and with a real heart of hope and also this desire to be an example and to you know to imitate God's character to them can you tell us a little bit more about that
1: um, yeah I I guess I prefer to think of my relationship with my daughters more as bruised than broken because um, I've always maintained a good relationship with them whether we lived in the same state or across the country. Um, Lisa used to joke that it wasn't normal for a college girl to call their dad as much as my daughter <laughs> used to call me um, was it for money or for it, for, for- it, it was <laughs> it, it was at times <laughs> um, but it, it was for it was for life you know it was for everything if they were having a bad day if they were having a good day um, so yeah my you know we've prayed throughout for godly influence in their lives, and um, when we lived near them, we we took them to church. They, at one point, decided they found a church they wanted to go to, so we left our church and went to church with them, and then they quit going. (laughs) Um, So we've, we've just continually prayed for them and prayed that if we couldn't be the godly influence for whatever reason that there would be some godly influence Um, and kind of lately we've started to see some fruit from that it's been really exciting Um, my, my oldest daughter has twins and they've started going back to the church that we went to with them and she's been sharing with me stories about the kids at children's church and things that are going on there She's seen a couple of her cousins go forward to be baptized, and so, and then this is kind of be careful what you wish for, but um, I don't. That's not really true. But my ex-wife has started to go to church, and um, her husband, and my son-in-law's parents have started to go to church, and now my other daughter is starting to go to church, and. Um, it's just amazing to see all this change. My, my ex-wife, I've uh, been divorced for over 30 years, and there's been animosity for every bit of it. And when our granddaughter was just born, she had multiple heart defects, and we went, um, and everyone was there. And my ex-wife apologized to Lisa and I for the way she has treated us for the last 20 years. Um, so it's kind of, you know, God is working. yeah, And it's, it's answered prayers, just yeah. amazing. That's awesome.
0: For those who are here who I think you are exemplary and I know that you don't feel like, when, when I asked Bob to share the testimony, he's like, why me? I don't think I am the right guy. Um, but just your heart for God and your heart to live for God, and to be an example for others for God, like just exemplary and um, others here who have that same heart, what would you what advice would you give to them who are who are in the similar season and just desiring to really be an imitation of God to those around them and live a godly life
1: um, don't do it like I did uh, <laughs> but for for us, the importance of prayer and steadfast prayer and faithful prayer um, we've been praying for 20 years
0: yeah
1: and just now seeing some of the fruit of that so stick with it um, and really the community um, we got involved with the small group here at Jordan's house and um, very, very shortly after we started coming here. And that community um, has just been amazing. Uh, the prayer that's gone up out of their living room has touched everyone there and countless more. So I guess I would just say steadfast prayer and the community of like believers has been really important for us.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. Would you all thank Bob today? Thank you so much. Let me pray. God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for how you minister to us in such a variety of ways. Lord, already today our hearts are full. We're reminded of you and we are encouraged that we need to know you more, that our lives are for you. And I pray this will continue as you speak to us through your word. I thank you for the testimony of Bob today. And just pray your blessing upon my brother, Lisa, and their family. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would continue to have a heart to know you and to grow in you. Lord, we thank you. We ask for ears to hear in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter five is where we're gonna be in our short time together in God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter five. If you've got the guides, design guides, you can turn to page 60. We're gonna be in the message today, Design for Imitation designed for imitation. And we are now in week eight, hard to believe, um, of our series design. If you haven't been here, it's totally okay. We're so glad you're here this morning. You can always listen to previous messages on our podcast, which is online. Um, And I do hope that you continue to spend time in the Word on your own and be involved in small groups as we study God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read the first 21 verses. I'm reading from the ESV, and if you don't have a Bible... Um, You can look at the screens. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers, or excuse me, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and moral and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What an awesome passage. For those who haven't been here, and even for those who have, I just kind of want to walk through again, real quick, the structure of this book of Ephesians. Paul writes the book to the church of Ephesus, a church like ours church of people who have been changed by God, who have given their life to God and experienced the new life of Jesus. Paul spent a lot of time with this church. He loved them. And even though he was away, he's writing back to them to remind them of the things of God, to teach them and to encourage them and to build them up much of a pastor's heart here in this letter. But the way the book is divided is really into two sections. Okay. I'm going to put on the screen here something just so y'all can see it. It's really divided chapters one through three and then chapters four through six. Chapters one through three, we call the series Design because it really is a book about God's design for us in our life. The first half of the book, chapters one through three, really speaks to us of how God has designed us to know God. Before you begin to think about how it is that God wants you to live your life, you've gotta understand this, that in your heart, you are designed to have a living relationship with the living God. That is the most important part of your life, is your relationship with God. And in the first three chapters of the book, Paul is very clearly helping us see that we are designed to live in relationship with God. And because of our brokenness, because of our sin and the consequences of our sin being death, we have no hope of trying to fix on our own our broken relationship with God. But oh, how wonderful it is when the news comes That while we were yet sinners, God gave his only son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus came to live the life that we should have lived, that we haven't lived, and we can't live. The perfect life of obedience and total surrender to God that we might have his righteousness. Jesus came to die on the cross. Why? Not because he had to die. In fact, he was the only one not deserving of death. He gave himself to death. Why? Because death is the penalty for our sin. He died for our sins. On his body, he bore the consequence for us to forgive us of our sins. That we might have a clean record before God. He was put away in a tomb. But three days later, he rose again to new life. And he lives today so that he might live in your heart. That you might have new life in God. What great news the first three chapters of this book offers us. Because it helps us know, yes, we are designed to live in relationship with God. But it answers the question, how does this relationship come? It comes by grace. By the love of God. By grace you have been saved. How can we have this grace? By trusting God. Giving our life over to God and saying, God, I can't do it. But you can. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you're willing to forgive my sins and gift me newness of life. Thank you that you still want me, though I'm broken and messed up and I don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. Lord, I want to love you too. Amen? That's the whole first half of this book, for chapters 1 through 3, how to know God. You are designed to know God. The second half of the book is really talking about this, how we are designed to grow in God. How we are designed to mature as children of God, to figure out in the practicals of everyday life, how is it that this relationship with God begins to affect everything about me? Everybody tracking with that. So this is what's here on the screen, the the difference in these two sections. You could also say in the first three chapters, the focus is our hearts. Again, that foundational part of us. See, a lot of people think that Christianity is about behavior. Oh, they want me to do this or do that. No. No. The the message of the gospel is about your heart. That God wants to make you new from the inside first. And then that change on the inside begins to affect the outside. So the first three chapters are all about our hearts. And then the second half is about our lives. The practicals. The day-to-day, everyday life. Where you could talk about, like other passages in the New Testament, speak of the difference between faith and works. Or faith and life. That's the contrast between... These sections. And it's an important contrast because if you only start in Ephesians 5, you could easily make this passage all about how God wants to change the morality of your life and make it a rules-based passage. But this passage is not a rules-based passage. This passage is saying that based on the radical change that God brings to your heart, there will become a radical change that is reflected in your life. You got it? This is about... Re- understanding the outworking of an inside transformation. So you've got to understand always as you're looking in four, five, and six, that what Paul's talking about and all these practical good godly instructions are the outworking of the inner change that comes when we're serious and sincere about our own relationships with God. And I do hope if you're here today that you do have a relationship with God. And if there's nothing else you hear me say today that that's the best thing in the world. And you may be distant from God and you may feel like, oh, I'm so broken, I can't figure it out. But listen, none of us have figured it out. The church is not for good people. The church is for broken people. Jesus says, I came not for the well, but I came for the sick, that they may have what they need to be whole again. We are not a church of just good people. We're a church of sinners who know the grace of God. And you can know that grace too. So before anything else we talk about today, know that it starts by just believing that God loves you and what he's done for you is enough that you might be saved based on his work for you in Christ. But we do continue to this passage today. I want to go ahead and just tell you right off because I'm going to have to teach a very short sermon today. Some of y'all are very happy. Some of you, my mom listening online is very sad. Um, But... Um, you're going to do more work in this passage in your small groups this week, and I do pray you continue to spend time in God's Word. I want to just kind of sum up for you, though, the passage. It's really there in verse 1 of chapter 5. Y'all could say this with me. It's going to be on the screen. I would like for all of us just to read it out loud. Okay, here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. One more time. Therefore, be imitators of God As beloved children. One more time. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Some of you who are new are like, we do this every week. Um, This is kind of strange. Um, I want you to hear this theme of this passage. This is it. Therefore. Every time you see therefore, you need to ask, what's that therefore? Based on all the stuff that's been talked about. In light of all that God has done for us in Christ. Chapters 1 to 3. Therefore, here comes a consequence. Here comes a, a reflection. Here comes an outworking of all that God has done. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I wanna go ahead and give you our core truth for the day. If you wanna write this down, I would really appreciate it so that you would be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. As children of God, we are designed to imitate his character and ways in the world. As children of God, we are designed... Like how I threw that in there? It was good. As children of God, we are designed to imitate His character and ways in the world. That's really how I would summarize the primary message of this passage. And I do hope that you would understand the scriptures. One of the things I love at our church is that we really seek to help you understand the scriptures, to, to really know it, understand it, and then be able to. Live in it. And I do hope that you see that this message comes out loud and clear. Um, We dedicated a lot of babies this morning. All of us are babies at one point. Some of you have had children or you know children. Children, um, one of the most awesome and terrible, terrible meaning scary things about children, is that they imitate their parents. Y'all ever? I have experiences for the first time, in a way that I really, like, truly understand it. And it is so fun and so scary. Like, Caroline now, she's, how old is Caroline? 18 months, sorry. (laughs) Same question I have to ask, like, how long have we been married? (laughs) Don't want to get it wrong. Um, Some of y'all are like, oh, I know he just didn't. Um, Yeah, I did, whatever. So, um, Caroline now, 18 months, is at this really fun stage where she is beginning to, show a lot more personality and she's doing her little thing. But one of the things we have started noticing is like, she is picking up on what we do a lot more than we think. And that's just what kids do. Like she, she now has a vacuum cleaner. We kind of love this. It's a, it doesn't work. Unfortunately, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> But she she knows, you know, she wipes the floor. She'll go, like if we're vacuuming, she'll, the other day I was vacuuming, and she took her little vacuum, and she's like, follow me around with her little vacuum. At the piano, she can sit. Apparently, she's watched. She can sit and actually kind of pick at the keys. Instead of just banging, she sits, and she, with a music in front of her, she will literally play a little bit, and then she reaches up. She turns the page, <laughs> and then she, she plays a little bit more. Um, if you cough, she coughs. Brushing teeth, she loves. Now, if, if, if I'm brushing my teeth, she wants her toothbrush so she can brush her teeth too. She, I have found her. She chases Zoe around, our little dog, and she says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely true. Um, have no idea. She's got a little, a little toilet now in the bathroom that we're preparing for potty training. She'll go and sit down on the toilet, fully clothed, and pull paper, uh, toilet paper off of the rack and start wiping herself. <laughs> kid you not another scary thing apparently I didn't even realize this but the other day all of a sudden I hear her go oh shoot but it didn't sound like shoot and I thought my daughter just cussed she's 18 months old and I thought where did she learn that and then I recognized that one of the phrases I use all the time is oh shoot and she's heard it wrong I think because she's saying it wrong I, I don't say, I promise, your pastor does not say the other word, but she's, like, learning it, and I'm like, I've got to start watching what I say, like, so, kids, for better or for worse, they, they imitate their parents, right? It's, it's crazy, the primary way that they learn how to behave is by watching mom and dad. It's a, just a natural reality of life. It's interesting here, at the start of this passage, here in verse one, as a primary theme, Paul says to us, do you understand that you are beloved children? You're children. You have been born into a family and you have a good and perfect heavenly father, God. You are his children. Therefore, as his children, imitate him. Learn his heart. Learn his character. Learn his ways. Keep your eyes on your dad. He's going to teach you all about your life. He loves you already. There's nothing Caroline can do to make me not love her. I love her. She is my child. God loves us as his children. We're born into his family in Christ by our faith in him. He loves us. We are adopted. We are his but as we are His, we need to have our eyes on Him, our heart fixed on. So I just want to be like my dad; He's the best. I want to be like my good and perfect Heavenly Father. So, therefore, our core truth is is for is it's understandable for us that we are designed as His children. We are designed to be imitators of His heart and His ways in the world. Everybody got that. Now there's a couple of things I just want to show you how the passage breaks down. I want to give you a couple of examples of each and then we're going to have to call it a day. The passage breaks down really into three sections, okay? So if if God your father is like this, then you as his children, as you watch him and learn how to live, then you should be this. Three things. Verses 1 to 2, we see God is love. Your dad is love. Our heavenly father, God is love. Therefore, walk in love. Imitate him. Secondly, God is light. Therefore, walk in light. Verses 3 to 14. Third, we see God, your heavenly father. As you watch him, as you look at him, as you learn to behave and live by watching him, you're gonna learn that he is truth. Therefore, as his little children you're going to learn to walk in wisdom. And in the end of the passage, and that was verses 5 to 15 to 17, then the very end of the passage, 18 to 21, helps us understand how all of this is even possible and reminding us that it's not by self-effort, but rather it's by God and what he's doing inside of us. He says, you know the path and the power for all of this? It's God's spirit living in you. Okay, that's, I'm just handing this to you. I hope you're writing it down. Because I I believe it'll help you have some handles to grab onto this passage, to really understand it, begin to live in it. Again, the theme, as children of God, watch, learn, imitate him. Learn to live out his heart and his ways in the world. How do we do that? He's love, so live in love. How do we do that? He's light, so live in light. How do we do that? He's truth, so live in wisdom. And then of course, all of this is empowered by God living in you. Let's walk through these just real quick, verses one to two. We're going to start with understanding God is love. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on understanding, again, the love of God. I've just gone through that. The first three chapters, we went through that extensively and detailed how much God loves you. He didn't just love you from a distance, but God loves you so much that He came and He did everything. In fact, there's nothing more that He could have done to give you more than giving of Himself. He gave up everything. Though He could have kept it all to Himself, it says in Philippians 2, that He emptied Himself and became nothing taking on the form of a servant, and not just a servant, a suffering servant. And he went to death, not just any death, but death on a cross. Why? Because he loves you. Oh, Christ lived a life of sacrificial, selfless love for you and for God, that you might be brought back to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever might believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing God that we have. And how extensive, how vast is his love. You will never, ever, 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 ever come to the end of knowing and being amazed by the love of God. If you want something that should captivate your attention and your heart and your mind, it's this, try to know the love of God. You'll never come to an end of it. It's amazing that God, our Father, loves us. He says, you know this love. You've looked at God and you're amazed. You're like, I love this about our Father. Therefore, he says, walk in love. In the same way that God has loved you, hey, guess what? He's doing the vacuum cleaner over here. Caroline's coming right behind me, the vacuum cleaner. In the same way that God is coming over here and loving you, showing you what love is like, how he is full of love. Indeed, 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. Right before that, it says, if anybody knows God, then they are going to love because God is love. In other words, he's saying, if you see God loving like this, then you come right behind him and you learn to love like him. You learn to be like him in your love. Learn to be so full in God and so motivated toward others that you give of yourself, giving, 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 giving selflessly, sacrificially, that you might walk just like him in love. Indeed, Paul says love is the fulfillment of all of the commandments. It's interesting because a lot of us want to tackle the commandments. We are rules-based people, or we have an idea of Christianity as rules-based, but he says, you want to know what God is after? God's not after your to-do list. God is after your heart, and he wants to give you his heart of love. That's why Jesus says the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like an unto itself. Love your neighbor as yourself. A heart of love is what God wants his children to have. And he wants you not just to have it, but to walk in it in the practical things of everyday life. Often we think, well, gosh, I think a lot of times in my life I excuse this kind of love because I look at the love of God and I think, it's so big. You know, it requires such selflessness. Like, and it just makes an excuse almost not to live every day in the love that God wants us to have. We get overwhelmed by the request, how could I possibly love like Jesus has loved me? But it's like me saying, you know, you owe $20,000 on your credit card or something. The way to tackle that, a lot of people get stuck if they have big debts. They get paralyzed in fear and they make no progress toward it because they think, I don't have 20000 in the bank now, so how could I possibly do it? Well, you do it $10 at a time. <laughs> You do it paying off one little thing at a time, right? It's My mama always said, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I don't know what it has to do with anything other than I just wanted to mention my mom. But um, the reality is with love, a lot of times we excuse that kind of sacrificial love that we need to have, but it comes, maybe not in the huge momentous acts of heroism, although that I would love it if that were you, but in the small things. And saying, you know what? We could spend X amount of money. This is our total Christmas budget. We could spend it all on ourselves, on our, our family and our friends. But you know what? There are families all over this community in need. And we could show God's love, sacrificial, selfless love. You, you could hold it to yourself, but you could also give it. And that could reflect, that could imitate God's love in a great way this Christmas if you choose to adopt a family who you don't even know who has needs and give to them. Showing that, that that's a small way. It's like what our team is going to be doing this next week, giving up their Thanksgiving break when a lot of us enjoy time with family and friends to go to Ivory Coast, West Africa. That is a a small thing, but it's a huge thing because the team is going. People who have never heard of God will have the opportunity to hear of God. People who have never seen a doctor will have the opportunity to see a doctor. That's a small way, but it reflects the love of God. I could go on and on, but begin to think, what in your life could you do How could you live to emanate, to really imitate the love of God? Are you walking every day in such a way that you are reflecting his heart and his ways of love in our world? That's what God has called you to do. Secondly, he says not not only walk in love, but walk in light. Verses 3 through 21. Walk in light. I want to point your attention to verse 8 specifically, 7 and 8, because it's really the theme of this whole little section here, um, starting in verse 3. Uh, really going down to verse 14. Verse eight is really kind of the thesis of this section. He says, therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. We know uh, 1 John 1, God is light. John chapter 1, 3 and 4 talks about how Jesus came into the world. He was the life of man and that life was light. And the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We know that God is light. He is pure. He is the essence of all that is good. When the lights are fully bright, when the sun is coming in, beaming in your window, that, that's the picture. It's a reflection of kind of the pure, radiant light. Awesome, unstained character of God. He is light. He shines brightly for all to see him. And as his children, he says, walk in light. If you know your dad to be full of light, then of course he wants you to come behind him and imitate him. Grow in his heart. Grow in his ways in the world. Walk as light. See, as children of God, we really have two ways to live. And Jordan did an amazing job last week. I want to thank him for just expounding, exposing the text so clearly for us. But there are really two ways to live. It's a reflection of what we saw last week. See, when we used to live in sin, before we came to God, really the only choice we had was to live in sin. That's all that we knew was to live in our flesh and keep after what we wanted and be self-centered and just very sinful with our lives, distant from God. But now that we are children of God, we have a choice to make, don't we? We don't have to remain in sin anymore because God has given us the opportunity to have a relationship with him and to grow in that relationship. And as Galatians 5 says that now in us, there is, there, you can choose. The spirit is in you and there's a war within you between the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God and the flesh. In other words, you could say also you could choose between light and darkness. There's a choice to make. And the encouragement from the scriptures last week and the continued encouragement here is that we need as children of God to choose not to remain in our past, not to remain in sin and the old way of life and selfishness and all of these things that come out of a sinful heart that's rebellious against God. We don't, we don't have to stay there anymore. Rather, we have the opportunity to walk into the light, the very light of God, and therefore imitate him because he is light. There's a couple of things that he lists here. He starts with a broad list of uh, sexual sins and impropriety, fornication, the broad word for sexual sin, from pornography to adultery, uncleanness, talking about dirty moral behavior, jealousy, stealing, greed. He goes into coarse humor here, um, covetousness. All of this really speaking to that fleshly, like uncontrolled appetite in our life. And he talks about, Um, foolish talking. Here, all of this, he's speaking of that old way. He's saying, get out of that stuff. You don't belong to that, nor do you have to live in it anymore. Foolish talking, you know, joking in, in sinful ways at other people's expense or about things that are just disgusting to God. One commentator says, you know, you can tell a character of a man by what he laughs at and what he cries at. And often, I'm guilty. Many of us are guilty of finding funny things that are not funny to God. And it's a struggle because I want to be a fun person. (laughs) I don't want to be the person in the group that doesn't laugh and kind of brings everybody down. But at the same time, I want to imitate my father. I want to treat people with kindness and grace, but I also want to honor my father and imitate him and show his heart and show his ways in the world. And he says, those kinds of, you know, that's what she said jokes are not fitting for us. He says, in fact, these are not fitting for us. Let these not even be named among saints. This is not the way that God's family is designed to live. You're bringing dishonor upon your father when you live like this, but rather give thanks. Be one who's quick to honor God and quick to thank God. And then he goes into this list and he talks about the consequences of of these sins. And he says, but you can be sure of this every, verse five, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people are going to ask about this, so I want to hit it real quick. Because you go, well, gosh, I struggle with impurity every day. There are parts of my life that are jealous every day. or You know, we've, we have sinned. All of us are sinners. And your list is as big. Mine's probably bigger than yours. I mean, we all have lists of sin. So is he saying I can't have any part of, of, of God because I have sin in my life? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 is a similar list. And he says the same things. He lists all these things and he says, these things have no part of the kingdom of God. But then he follows it and says, but such were some of you. And that's a helpful thing from 1 Corinthians 6 because it's Paul again talking. And he's saying, understand that, he's not saying that you you, you should have a sinless past in order to be God's child. None of us have a sinless past. All of us were marked by these things at some point. But in our lives today, those things should be fading and fading and fading away because we are walking into the light of God. Our lives are no longer defined by these things that are of darkness, but rather we are defined by the light that God is bringing into our lives. Much like David sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba and with killing her husband, he wasn't cast out he was expected to come back with a repentant heart, wasn't he? A humble and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David was a man who was known after God's heart. Even in his sin, he didn't allow his sin to rule his life and to rule his heart. He didn't excuse it. He didn't continue in it, but rather he lived in a state of brokenness, a state of uh, heart of humility and desire for God above all things. But you better be sure, the Bible gives no assurance to people who are living in unrepentant sin, who are living in sin that, where there's no brokenness, there's no confession, there's no movement, there's no desire for change, there's no help for change, there's no seeking of God. There's, I mean, if, if you're just owned by sin completely with, with absolutely no heart to get out of it, maybe you do need to evaluate, am I really a child of God? Because God says about his children that we are moving in a direction of transformation from the inside out. We are moving out of sin into light, out of darkness into light, out of the works of our flesh into the works of the Spirit. And yes, it's a messy work. It is a process. And I, as a pastor, embrace a process. I am never surprised by sin in my own life or in your life. And I'm not saying that you are going to be a sinless person or have to be a sinless person to be a Christian. What I am saying is the trajectory of our lives as God's children looks like growing nearness to God. That when we sin, that we call it out and say, yeah, I sinned. It's wrong. God doesn't want that. God doesn't like that. I'm sorry about it. But we confess it and we surrender it to God and we move closer to God even through our sin such that more and more and more we imitate the light of God. Does that make sense? That's here what the passage is speaking. He's saying, you know what? And don't let anybody deceive you about this. There's going to be people who come along, it says, verse six, who are going to try to tell you that it's not a big deal. Try to make you excuses about it. Oh, we're under grace. You know, just keep sinning. It's fine. God loves you in the end. But sin is a big deal. Paul addressed that in Romans four. And then in Romans six, he says, you know what? Those who say that, let them be accursed. It's if you, don't, if you don't have a heart to, to seek God, you need to evaluate, are you really his child? Because God's children have a heart to seek God. Those who take the grace of God as free and cheap and just abuse it like crazy aren't proving that they really love their father because it's not about just how little can I do to, to you know, or how much can I do to avoid or whatever. No, it's about wanting to know God more. Therefore, take it seriously and don't let anybody convince you otherwise that sin is not serious and there aren't real consequences. Move in the direction of light. Don't be partakers with sin. Verse 11, he says, don't have any part in the unfruitful works. It's it's shameful even to talk about these things. You be a child of light. What does it mean to be a child of light? It means to live before God such that you have nothing. That's what he says here. When the light comes, everything is going to be visible. It's like a, you know, if you go to the airport with a gun, don't think you're going to get through security, right? Why? Why, do you, why, do you, why are you careful about what you put in your bags before you go to the airport? Because you know what? Everything is going to get tested. Now that we have Caroline, they even test the little milk bottles. It takes us forever, about 30 minutes now to go through security. It's the most annoying thing ever because they take out and they dab all the liquid and they put it in these boxes. I have no idea what they're doing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever get the special screening? It's not that special. It is. It sucks. Um, We're careful about what we take to the airport because you know everything is going to be laid out on the table and has the potential to be examined. It goes through the x-ray machine and everything is going to be seen. To live in the light of God is to live in such a way that you are careful how you live because you know that God sees everything. You know there's nothing to be hidden. You're living in such a way that you're saying, God, see my life and be pleased. I want to live in the light as you're in the light. Because when you come into my life, Lord, there is no darkness. You see everything. So I want to live. I'm not going to live in the darkness anymore. I'm going to choose to live in the light. He says, Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In other words, he's saying, get out of this sleepy, kind of sinful life that you're living. And don't you know the power of God that's available to you? As his children, don't you know the potential for you to, to let go of some of that stuff that so ensnares you and embrace the wonderful promises and power of God that's available to you? Come awake. Realize you don't have to stay in that anymore. Move out of the darkness and into the light. Let Christ shine on you. And didn't Jesus say to us in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Nobody's gonna join. But we learned that when we were little. Let your light shine. What does it mean? So others may see your good works. See the kind of life that you live. And that kind of life will bring glory to the Father because it's different. It speaks of the heart, the character, and the ways of God. It is a light, a life of light. And that light brings glory to God because it shows that you are his child. Third, it says, not just walk in love because he is love. Not just walk in light because he is light, but walk in wisdom because he is truth. Verse 15 to 16 says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully how you walk. Don't be foolish. Don't walk around life carelessly. You know, somebody said once, uh, if the captain doesn't know what his port he's headed to, no wind is the right wind. You have to live... Understanding that God has a will for your life. And the time is not getting shorter. I mean, the, the time is not getting longer. That's what I meant to say. Every moment that you have is a moment of opportunity. But once that opportunity is gone, it's gone. And the days are not getting brighter. In fact, they're getting darker. The world is getting more desperate for Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 predicted this. The things we saw this weekend in Paris, the fears that are in the hearts of many around the world, and I'm not one who's a, who likes to evoke fear because we should live in hope, and I believe more and more people will come to Christ until the day Jesus comes again. And even though there's evil in the world, God redeems that evil and allows more opportunity for people to turn to God. But the reality of our world is, folks, we're, we need to realize things are broken. People need the Lord. We often sit around squandering the opportunities that God has given us, the investments that we could make because we think, oh, you know, it's just about me. No, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot more people that need to come to Christ, a lot more needs that need to be met. And we as the church, God's children have that opportunity, don't we? So let's don't be foolish, careless, thinking, oh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, whatever. No, let's live our life strategically. Let's invest ourselves strategically for the things that are in the will of the Lord. You have an assignment as God's child. This is something Rob Hodom always says. I love how he uses it. You have an assignment, and we've got to figure out what that assignment is. What is your assignment as God's child? What part does he have you to play? You can know the will of the Lord. You can You can know what God wants you to do in each moment. Open the word, pray, discern, live in Christian community. You can know God's will. God is truth and he wants you to know the truth. You know the difference between uh, knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is being able to apply knowledge. Not only should we know it's true, but we need to know how to apply it in our Daily life. God is true, and He says, Because I'm true, you don't have an excuse to walk carelessly, but rather you need to walk in wisdom. And then at the very end of this passage, He helps us understand the power, the pathway of it all. Because He says in verse 18 to 21, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want to know how to live as God's child? I'll tell you one of the best things that anybody's ever told me, and then we'll close. Um, I used to think of Christianity, like I've described many times today, as like a to-do list. And I put all of these things in front of me and then try real hard to be and do all these things. One of the secrets of the Christian life, it is the secret of the Christian life. And often in churches, I don't know why, it's not talked about very much. But it's understanding how to live a spirit-filled life. If we would understand how to live every day, surrendered to God and full of his Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are all these things that are described in this passage. Love, joy, peace. Patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. Living in God's Spirit. The encouragement here is he's comparing it kind of like with drunkenness. He's saying, you know, you could fill yourself with wine and all kinds of things in this world you could try to fill your life with. But doing so is never going to satisfy you and it doesn't bring honor to God. Don't Don't be filled. Try to fill yourself up with the world. Yeah, you're longing for satisfaction and fulfillment. To have your... Your heart's craving for that one thing to give you joy and peace and security, identity and confidence. You know what it is? It's God. It's not anything in this world. Don't be try to fill yourself with the world. Rather, every day wake up and seek to be filled by God. Be filled by God. The, the, the tense of the verb is interesting it's active, which means it's ongoing. It's imperative, which means it's a command. It's passive, which means it's not something that you can do, but God has to do for you. (laughs) Be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing work that God's doing in our life. And what comes out of that, see, this is the key to all of it, because what comes out of that is thanksgiving, he says. What comes out of that is joy. Joy so much that you would want to sing, every day of God's goodness and grace. What comes out of that is a life of submission, which next week we'll pick up in our passage. Therefore, as God's beloved children, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Like little Caroline is learning from me. Oh, once we are God's children, shouldn't we learn from God? Shouldn't we as his children understand that we're designed to imitate his heart and to imitate his ways in the world. As Robbie comes, I want you to just take a second to pray and to give your heart to God. I pray that you would have a heart knowing God's love to walk in his love. Maybe your prayer today, God, help. I know that you love me. I see it and I'm amazed by it. It's you're the best. I admire you. Lord, I want to be like you. Would you work your heart of loving me that my life would be lived like you love me? Knowing that God is light, that he's pure, that he's good, that there's no wrong in him. you love that about God. He's given you his righteousness. Knowing this and knowing the power that is available to you, maybe you could pray today, Lord, help me to walk in your light. I want to be done with the ways of darkness, the ways of the world. I don't want to sleep anymore, but I want to come awake for what you can do for me. Maybe you need to confess some sin this morning. Receive God's grace. Not that you are perfect or ever could be, but that you have a heart to live surrender to God. Let that be your prayer this morning. Knowing that God is truth. Oh, you love that God is true. You love what he's shown you, the way that he's given to you, the will that he's revealed to you. Are you walking in wisdom? Maybe this morning your prayer is, Lord, would you help me, not just to live according to what I think, according to what my friends recommend, to the pattern I see in the world. Help me not to live thinking I've got to figure it all out on my own, but Lord, help me to trust your wisdom. Help me to believe that you can show me the way. I want to walk carefully according to your will. Then above all, I pray that today you would pray, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Every day, would you give me your presence? Because Lord, I know when I'm filled with your spirit, the fruits of my life will be.